0: Well, one scribe, a frequent guest of this podcast, Mark Stein, said that this going in looked like the best second round ever on paper. I agreed with them and it absolutely lived up to its billing. We got to talk about that crazy Kawhi shot and the Raptors 92-90 victory over the Sixers. Another great game in Denver with CJ McCollum scoring 37 to lead Portland to an upset victory on the road. And then we will preview the Western Conference Finals and make our picks in which one Dan Annie LaRue experienced the glory of getting right a game seven victory on the road for the Blazers. But first, we just have to talk about what Kawhi Leonard did in this game for the Raptors, including, of course, that that ridiculous final shot.
1: Right. And I think this put into stark relief just how and why the trade that Masai Ujiri had the guts to pull off in the offseason happened, because a lot of these Kawhi Leonard shots, you know, he he didn't have the greatest night from the field. 16 of 39. I mean, the 39 is absolutely astonishing there. But I want to start with the fourth quarter. So Kawhi Leonard, six of nine in the fourth quarter, but every single one of those attempts was a jump shot. He was just taking these hard shots going into the last game of the year, going into the on tired legs, most of them well contested, not all of them, but most of them well contested. And he was just huge. He was massive in this game, taking and making the shots that DeRozan and Lowry in prior years just couldn't really put together and so they were able to win this massive game win this massive series and go to the conference final
0: yeah leonard started off just having to take it to the rim uh, 8 of 13 at the rim in the first three quarters because he couldn't buy a jump shot he missed his first eight jumpers was only two of 12 on jumpers got a two minute rest very briefly at the start of the fourth toronto actually extended the lead by two during that period and then he came back fresh as a daisy five of five for mid-range and one three-pointer including that incredible fading jump shot over Joel Embiid we're going to talk a lot more about the very end of this game but just that shot which we again had the privilege of doing live uh, on the NBA cast it just the only shot of that type of significance that I can remember I guess there's two that come to mind in NBA history even though it didn't bounce around as much one was Don Nelson's crazy shot in game game seven of the 69 finals that bounced a thousand feet up in the air and through that wasn't a, a game winner and then Allen houston which wasn't technically a buzzer beater but won the series for the new york knicks a, a floater i think it was from the free throw line in game five of 1999 which was an 8-1 series that bounced way up in the air at and dropped through this one was even more than that I mean seeing it bounce around and just staring with our mouths agape and that led to that iconic photo of Embiid trying to like look around the backboard and see whether it was going to bounce in and Leonard had time to actually get down into a squat and try to will the ball into the basket it was just a one of the most iconic shots in NBA history
1: and it joins Damian Lillard's as Defining iconic shots from these playoffs. I don't want to compare the two because they're they're very different. And I th- I love each of them as emblematic of that player. You know, Lillard having the having the guts to pull that shot over Paul George, and then Kawhi running around, basically getting get getting a second defender on him, getting a great contest, throws the ball sky high and just puts it in because Kawhi Leonard, he can he can make ridiculous shots. He's an incredible player. And I think to go from there, I, I want to start from, from well, that Well, point. a few more
0: things on, on that shot, sure. too. Uh, he said to Rosgold and Wude after the game that he tried to get as much arc on it, and that was clear from that ba- yeah. opposite baseline camera view. He shot it so much higher than his normal shot, which is usually pretty flat. And nonetheless, like, Kawhi just has amazing touch. Maybe not usually from that far out, but there are so many shots that he took in this series that were short and just kind of died on the rim, had the requisite backspin on it and it bounced in for him. And, and this was... A, a, I mean he probably had 10 of those in this series and we take a lot of shots you get a lot of chances for him, but that was just to have it bounce four times like that and just the agony of just oh thank god he missed it oh no this might go in it's bouncing it's bouncing and with each bounce it's more likely that it goes in and then finally it just daggers right through your heart i mean i couldn't i can't imagine what that must have been like as a competitor for the the sixers to see that that's the shot that you're gonna lose on well especially
1: with a game that was so physically exhausting like you're you're sitting there and you're just like okay okay Okay. and then i'm sure they started some of them started thinking about overtime and then not you not only do you not get overtime your season's done your season is over and i love my personal favorite are shots that turn a loss to a win but this was just gargantuan it was as a massive shot and especially i mean with the with the fan base that has been tortured the way that the raptors have And this is in no way you know like making the conference finals is a great step it it, it doesn't absolve all of those things all that pain but a huge shot. And I I think another important thing to talk about at the very beginning to be a, the story of this game was the guy who contested that shot. Joel Embiid played 45 minutes in this game, 21, 11, four, three blocks, four turnovers. We'll talk about that too. He was plus 10 in a game his team lost by two.
0: And that has never happened before. As far as we know, basketball reference has data back to 2000. Never before has a player been plus 10 or more in four. 45 minutes or more and had his team lost the game that we know of in nba in regulation.
1: Regula- yeah, in, yeah, in, in regulation regular yeah in regulation
0: a 48 minute game before tonight regular season or playoff and that shows just I, how valuable and bead was defensively when he didn't have it rolling offensively he did some more things tonight it did get up to 21 points in uh what was a, an offensive struggle of a game three block shots and i think he was something just crazy like he was like well over plus 50 for the series it might even been more than that and consider how many minutes he played and heroic performance for him obviously not in the greatest of shape with all the knee issues coming off the the illness to play 45 minutes and he had to play that many because obviously it was a complete disaster the moment he went out of the game once again just like it was uh, in game six so that's uh that's really Boban Mike Scott Greg Monroe certainly the other guys on the team deserve some blame for that also to not because there's really they couldn't score In Game Six was the big problem here. It was more the defense, but and you still have all these great players. Like they shouldn't be just getting destroyed by over a point a minute, or in this case, four points per minute. I mean that's incredible, four points per minute when Joel beat is is off the floor. They got beat in this game, but still to not have a better backup center option when you have one of the more fragile guys in the NBA at that position, and you need to preserve him as well to not have any kind of an option there. Number one going in of the season and number two at the trade deadline it is really just not good enough from philly's front office and and there that is maybe the biggest reason certainly from a statistical standpoint that they are going home
1: i think this this stat might even be this i haven't seen anybody post this yet and i i can't it because of the timing of games i can't get it all the way on the nba's official site i'll have to check it on it by what i'm looking at joel and had the best plus minus of the second round period plus 90
0: <laughs> plus 90 oh man i'm plus 50 was way off
1: he's plus 90 and then the next two guys it's eight listed games for the nuggets because that series ran longer the eastern conference second round started before but I mean absolutely incredible
0: yeah and one thing you, you would have to look at too was Jarrell has two fouls Brett Braun takes him out of the game for the last 30 seconds of the second quarter. I guess the thinking being, well, we don't want him to pick up his third, so we'll take him out for this defensive possession. Well, guess what? His main value is on defense. And also guess what? Getting his third foul with 24 minutes and 12 seconds left in the game isn't any different than him getting his third foul with 23 minutes and 48 seconds left in the game it doesn't matter at all there's nothing special about going into halftime with that third foul or getting it right away so and, and they went right at it was Kyle Lowry went right at Greg Monroe and got an and one and that was three points and they lost by two you know I mean there's and there and, and that, that's not just that obviously and, and I I'm not in agreement that Brett Braun should lose his job which is, is the rumor that, that's going to happen and there are plenty of other mental mistakes that, that popped out I think it, the next thing that we have to turn to here is that Philly
1: wait before we turn there can I can I give the actual stat I pulled it
0: oh great yeah yeah. okay
1: here are the top five and plus minus for the second round of the playoffs now that it is complete number five is a tie between Giannis and Nikola Miritich at plus 40 number number four is Chris Middleton at plus 46 number three is Jamal Murray at plus 50 number two is Nikola Jokic at plus 60 and number one is Joel Embiid at plus 91 so all three of the top players in plus minus played today all three of them are not moving on to the next
0: round yeah and now Mason Plumlee is supposed to provide a little bit more behind the Jokic uh than
1: yeah and plus and plus minus is not fulfilling. the end-all be-all but we saw yeah. how differently and how much worse the Sixers played when Embiid was not in the floor especially on the defensive
0: end. yeah and, and that's it, it fell apart there it fell apart on offense and you know maybe it got to the point where it was psychological for this group where it was almost a self-fulfilling prophecy when he would go out of the game but yeah so the next place I think we need to turn though is Toronto played a little harder than Phil. Philadelphia in this game and the offensive glass. Was uh, enormous there. Kawhi Leonard had four offensive rebounds in this game, and that's despite the fact that he had probably the biggest load of any player in this game with those 39 field goal attempts. Serge Ibaka also had four offensive rebounds as that big lineup continued to pay off pretty well for Toronto. They won three of four games in the series after breaking out that Gasol and Ibaka together lineup. Uh, And then they completely shut off the offensive glass for Philly, only five offensive rebounds for Philly were there. They had at times dominated with that as well and so 11 more offensive rebounds six more second chance points the fast break was huge for the Raptors 10 of their first 13 points were fast break points and they only got 16 fast break points overall but when they were really struggling at the beginning they got some fast break points but Van Vliet got fouled in transition a couple of times and since apparently he's never ever going to make an actual shot from the field again those were not good fouls and then Philly's turnovers as well a lot of those were forced certainly as toronto had 10 steals and their defense was unbelievable in this game and we'll talk about that down the end uh but still to lose the turnover battle 15 to 10 and 10 of those uh being live ball it, it's really really difficult to win that way and they almost did because they outshot the raptors 58 percent true shooting for philly 47 percent for toronto but that hustle in the possession game that philly shot it better from three toronto we were, said hey if their role players don't hit shots they're gonna be in big time trouble in this game it's gonna be really close and that's exactly what happened they were seven out of 30 from downtown lowry was one of seven uh gasol was one out of four ibaka crazy Easily hit three of their seven three pointers, and he was below 30% from the year. Although previously used to be a, a good three point shooter before this, but he f- somehow found his confidence and he made three out of five, including this ridiculous one over Ben Simmons late in the clock, where he looked like Clay Thompson, like shooting with his legs spread out and like not even able to jump. But it was uh really the effort of the Raptors in yet another game where they didn't have their shooting touch that ultimately allowed them to keep it close enough that Kawhi was able to win it for him at the end.
1: Per cleaning the glass. Philadelphia was ten points per hundred possessions more efficient in half court offense, but they were there a much higher proportion of the time and the offensive rebounds. That's another way of framing what you just said, but I thought I thought it was a good way of thinking about it. That and it looked that way. You know, Philly's half court offense wasn't great, but it was a whole lot better than Toronto's. A lot of missed shots from both of these teams. That that is a theme throughout Sunday's game sevens. And what was really kind of ridiculous when I was thinking about this game between between I sorry between when we record between when we finished and when 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 we recorded this was how few Raptors I thought like really had a good game, you know, Kawhi played well, Serge Baca was huge. But like Kyle Lowry, eh, Danny Green had some good defensive plays, but he wasn't great. Siakam seemed a little bit tentative to me.
0: Well, they they all had a good game on defense though. Oh, that's for that damn sure. Especially the last five the minutes. I want to talk I want to talk about but,
1: that. Yeah. Plenty. And but it happens sometimes in game sevens, you know, teams teams are you're they're working so hard defensively. It's a lot of contested shots. It can look ugly at times. Or a lot of the time in in both of these games, but yeah, the defense and and that's a good a good thing to talk about here. I mean, those when I why I rewatched the fourth quarter, the last the last three minutes was almost defensive perfection.
0: Yeah, they three possessions in a row for Toronto. Philly either barely got a shot up or just turned it over they had one with the shot clock violation one where Butler airballed and it probably should have been a shot clock violation but they just let Drill down the other way and then they were down to two on the shot clock with absolutely nothing going on and Lowry got a huge steal away from Embiid threw ahead to Siakam for a layup uh, to put him up four it seemed like that was the game with under two minutes left there but those three possessions all of which I think came after stoppages so put a nail in the or, or another nail in the coffin of offense is more efficient after you call a timeout and it was just an amazing defense early in the period they were getting hurt a little bit with the butler pick and roll with Embiid going at Gasol they started having Embiid pop out and I was upset with Gasol early for how many times he closed out just way too hard on Embiid and let him get a drive to the point where you wonder if he was actually instructed to do that if it wasn't a a mental error and they just said hey we think we get Joel to put it on the floor we'll rotate to him we'll force turn turnovers um because Gasol is too smart to just do that over and over again you think but anyway eventually when they were playing that way Butler was able to get a couple of looks at, against Gasol and so they decided all right we're going to try and put two on the ball with Butler and then we'll rotate over to Embiid Serge Ibaka had a great play rotating out to Embiid forcing him to drive baseline and then he threw a, a flaming bag to Butler in the corner as the shot clock ran down and then Lowry made it another great play going to get Embiid as they were just so good getting through handoffs they just like Siak I mean, this is a guy who's like 6'9", Just would not allow himself to be screened. He kept denying Tobias Harris, who couldn't get a touch. Redick. Every time he did pop three just a little bit, they were able to have the big come out and take that away, and then rotate behind the play. It was just absolutely awesome Raptors defense with the athletes that they had on the floor and the size they had on the floor. It was green out. They had Siakam at the three, Ibaka at the four, and you know Lowry was really the only small guy, and he's really tough and smart. As well so they were just absolutely flying around it was incredible to see
1: and remember they were flying around on defense and doing all this without Danny Green on the floor one of their best defenders because they were able to play with so much length and and have and the, the big men moved really really well and some of the limitations of Philly did help that and also Jimmy Butler's sprained ankle I think helped that but huge huge defense from the from the Raptors and that yeah as you said that that steal from Kyle Lowry that gave Siakam an, an open layup makes that so with one minute and 14 seconds left Toronto's at four and remember the last three possessions had been Philly not really doing much but then they got back into it
0: yeah Lowry had a bad foul just putting oof, his hands on Butler oof. and kudos to Monty McCutcheon and his referees McCutcheon swore at the start of the season the game would not be called differently at the end of games and in the playoffs and yeah Lowry puts his hands on Butler maybe that get, gets let go in past years but that's a foul and and they had to call it Butler though missed a key free throw so it was only a three-point game and the Raptors had a very long possession Kawhi missed and Ibako was able to get the rebound. They passed it out, called timeout, eight seconds on the shot clock. They got a really tough Kawhi fadeaway three, and Philly used their last timeout with 24 seconds left. And Toronto went into switching everything, which would work great. They even kept Gasol on the floor, but he switched everything. Philly ran a play for a three. You know how much we loathe the quick two in that situation down three, but just Toronto's switching was perfect. Siakam was all over the place. They took away everything. So finally, it was Embiid in the post on Lowry. And Lowry actually tipped it away from him and B got it back and then Ibaka it looked like it was a questionable call but then when you see the replay from behind the basket he clearly like slammed his chest into him as he's going up so Embiid hits a couple of free throws and then it's just a complete failure to deny the ball and it to Kawhi by Philly
1: right and Toronto does exactly what teams should in this circumstance which is right after those free throws have your best shooters get to places where ideally where they can catch the ball and not get trapped like if, if you can pull both those off more power to you and Philly just didn't have a plan Reddick scrambles over there after Kawhi's caught the ball and has started turning up court yeah I mean you, you knew you weren't going to get very far but he did that yeah and then
0: well well, here this is a key point here too this yeah. but by, by not having to use the time out there and not preemptively using it by actually just taking a chance to inbound the ball when you could number one they got it to their best free throw shooter yeah he missed it but it was good execution Tobias Harris just was like standing and guarding no one they just nobody ran to Kawhi to try to deny him but by not having to use the time out there remember they had already used one where nurse just sprinted out on the floor they had one left and that's what enabled Kawhi to hit that shot at the end
1: so Kawhi leonard goes to the line and paralleling game six in 2013 in the nba finals sorry to bring up more pain for spurs fans who are listening to this podcast but you're gonna have plenty so that's just the way it is Kawhi splits the free throws and so then philly you know they get they get this opportunity to really to to get back in the game
0: yeah and gasol he went for the offense Rebound I actually got a pretty good push and got a hand on it, but inadvertently, his tip out number one meant that he wasn't back on defense, and number two, it goes right to I think Harris. Everyone else on Toronto was getting back on defense, so there's no one to get that tip. And it inadvertently just ended up being an outlet. Harris got it to Butler, who just pushed it up and went right in on Ibaka. Butler had previously sprained his ankle in the fourth quarter trying to play defense uh, on Kawhi, but didn't look any worse for where just got it over the shot blocker. It was a really nice finish for him to tie the game. And with four seconds left, I mean Toronto had to be feeling shell shocked That felt like such a disaster where you've got Kawhi who can put you up three to miss that free throw and then immediately immediately give up the fast break bucket the other way must have just been so deflating but uh fortunately they had Kawhi at the ready and yeah they double teamed and B couldn't quite keep him contained I mean again it's about as good a defense well, as you can play it was interesting because
1: it was a double team but and I'm not criticizing him for this in the slightest but Embiid functionally screened away Ben yes. Simmons because he's just sticking with him and Embiid is a large human being it's very difficult to get through him it's impossible to get through him it's very difficult to get around so he he tracked and I don't think Embiid did anything particularly wrong there but it is what got Simmons away I thought Simmons had done a really nice job on Kawhi for the remainder of that possession
0: yeah and Simmons had had to switch off of Kawhi after getting a a fifth foul on a Kawhi floater uh let's do a quick break here we could talk a a few more points about this game before we get into Denver Portland the half-court offense was pretty ugly in this game but you will look a lot better than either of these teams half court offense if you grab yourself an Indochino suit they're the official outfitter of my wedding I trusted them for that because I had had great experiences with their made to measure suits you can either measure yourself at home or you can visit one of their 40 showrooms in North America and have them take your measurements you can tell how much they've grown how popular they are gotten a lot of really nice messages from listeners who have tried Indochino suits and had them work out Really well. And when I first started doing the copy, there are eight showrooms in North America. So they really are expanding and becoming a lot more popular. And that's because they have a great product. There's no reason to buy off the rack anymore. Buying a suit off the rack was just a terrible experience. And you didn't get the style that you wanted. You didn't get the customization that you wanted. And you didn't get the fit that you wanted. For me, I've got huge shoulders and kind of a small chest. And so I could never find something off the rack. The chest was just enormous on me if I wanted to fit my shoulders. And then the pants were always like a 44 because they figure anyone who's got as long arms as me somehow also has to have like a 44 inch waist. And they would try to bring it in and it would kind of just billow around me. and, And it was awful. So Indochino, you can customize the lining, the lapels single-breasted, double-breasted, whatever you want, and you can do it for just $379, any premium Indochino suit. When entering that familiar cap space code at checkout, that's 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit. Free shipping at Indochino.com. Don't forget that cap space code to let them know that you came from us. Once you go custom, you don't go back. I am living proof of that. I have not bought a single suit that is not Indochino in a long time. And again, don't forget that cap space code to tell them where you came from. I think. Philly will be kicking themselves over just a few mental mistakes here and there like one was Gasol got a wide open three during that time when Kawhi was on the bench because they just didn't know who they had the matchup was supposed to be Embiid on Siakam but then when you also had Gasol and Ibaka out there then it was like are we gonna put two smalls on each of these big guys and Tobias Harris again didn't know who he was supposed to have and they just give up a wide open three to Gasol and and Harris had been guarding Gasol the whole Game. I don't know why it would have been switched up at that point in time I think Toronto's just mental toughness in this game and in the series down to one and you know a lot of that is guys who haven't been here before like Kawhi Leonard you know it's not like Kyle Lowry had some awesome game tonight offensively Ibaka did come through though he was someone who had had some playoff failures with this group but just every time Philly went on a run they went up seven then they took they, they dared to take him beat out of the game for two minutes and immediately gave up that lead um in the third Philly came back and took a lead in the second Lowry hit a huge three fading into the corner and obviously that very last time when Philly tied the game Kawhi had uh, the ultimate answer
1: I had a few other plays that struck out as well one I thought that at various moments in the game especially in that late going Toronto got a few kind of like found money and it happens in every game I'm not saying it would they were particularly lucky but that there was one where Kyle Lowry it looked like he just chucked up like a deep two late in the clock and because you have to put the shot up it went in and
0: yeah that was the play where Kawhi got trapped and no it couldn't get the ball to anyone and Lowry just never stopped moving and finally got it and made an impossible shot
1: and then another huge play in the late going shortly before that back to back to back effective shot clock violations from the Sixers they tied the game on a JJ Redick three-point play correctly called Serge Ibaka went right into him and that was a really big one too to you know it kind of looked like Toronto was building that momentum and then Philly got that back and then you know eventually eventually they you know it they, they tied it again but i thought that shot by Redick was huge
0: yeah they ran almost like a golden state warriors look getting simmons into the post and then bringing Redick all the way from the opposite corner the Warriors don't really run that anymore they used to in like 2015 like for clay thompson to have him run all the way to the opposite side of the court at, around a post up it and shoot it and baka was a little late getting out there on Redick. another interesting cat and mouse game philly got a three for Redick with a nice set that they ran with harris posting up lowry off a switch gasol would try to go and help on that as the closest defender and then as soon as he went to help they had Embiid go screen away for Redick and so then they ran it again to start the fourth quarter and Toronto was all over it they knew exactly what was coming they guarded Redick perfectly and forced him in, into a bad shot uh, on that play um the Sixers scored 13 points on their first 27 possessions John Schumann had the stat and then on their next 13 possessions they scored 26 points <laughs> it really wasn't actually that bad of an offensive game after that 18 to 13 uh first quarter in which both teams were absolutely miserable. I think the Sixers had like below a fifty offensive rating uh in that first quarter, and at one point they were one out of ten from three, and then they closed the game uh, quite strong. So, anything else we can say just on like what the problems were for Philly? Like a little bit of a post mortem uh, for them here before we move on to Denver, Portland.
1: Lack of capable depth, I think, was a huge part of this. This, it,
0: this just in.
1: This just in. But Toronto is a really good team, and even though Van Vleet overall didn't have a great series, they had. Serge Ibaka, who they could trust, and they got. I think Philly got more out of Ennis than I expected. Mike Scott wasn't great in this game, but he had some nice performances in this series. And Philly just did. They just didn't have enough. You know, they they tried a bunch of different options. They tried Monroe in this game. They've tried Bolden in previous games. But went to Boban a couple of different times. And we knew that their starting five was really talented. We expected that they would play well together. I believe that was largely the case. And to move themselves into this rarefied air of these top teams, I mean the Bucks and Raptors are both unbelievable squads is really impressive. And Toronto got all they could handle in Philadelphia and with a little bit better depth and just- all the all the kind of mistakes I mean remember they had Nemanja Bjelica, and then that deal fell through we thought they could do more with minimum contracts than they did getting James Ennis was was a big help and getting and getting Mike Scott was a help in in the Boban Tobias Harris trade but I mean just it, you could go all over the roster not getting any shooting losing Shamit in that trade you know imagine what he could have done somebody asked us that in the NBA cast like yeah Shamit would have been huge for them in this series could have been reliable a rel- yeah. reliable place for shooting and
0: and they traded four first round picks essentially if you want to count Shamit to me, is probably better than your average first-round pick because he had actually proven that he could yeah,
1: play and, by and that point. And definitely better than your average Philly first-round pick because their picks are probably going to be late. They're still really good.
0: So, yeah, that that obviously is disappointing. Of course, the fit issues will come up. I mean, Simmons, to me, they did about as much as they could with him. And he showed me a lot defensively as a perimeter defender in these playoffs. His work on D'Angelo Russell was awesome. I thought he did about as well as could be hoped on Kawhi. I would have liked to have seen them overall as as a strategy try and force him left a little bit more than they did because going to his right he is really damaging and that's where he hit all of his shots in the fourth quarter uh but you know he, he's pretty capable of going to his left too so it, that's not like an obvious one um you know jimmy butler struggled tonight and part of the reason which we didn't talk about at all here is that they decided to put Kawhi on jimmy butler for most of the game and i mean for Kawhi to guard jimmy butler and take 39 shots was just incredible, and Butler did get going just a little bit in the fourth quarter with some of that pick and roll action. He got that fast break, obviously, but overall, Kawhi really did a fantastic job uh, on him, and well, yeah, it and, showed uh, that. Yeah,
1: sorry, I was going to mention of Jimmy Butler's five buckets, at least two of them were with Marcus guarding him after a screen. Like, yeah, I,
0: I, now I mean, Kawhi's in theory supposed to get through that screen, but sure, I guess, yeah. yeah, yeah, and so that that was I think a pretty good adjustment because Butler had really hurt them, uh, and. And in game seven, do or die, Kawhi had a chance to kind of chill out on Ben Simmons before this. but uh, And then the other thing that they did, which was really interesting in the first half, was they decided to just double Embiid on the catch and... We questioned that on the NBA cast initially uh, of just hey Gasol's done a pretty good job on it. Why are you going to do that? And I think there are a couple of reasons for it. You know, I, I'm not sure whether it was good or bad strategy. One was if you've got Kawhi and Butler, he's not your main help guy under the rim now with Simmons just uh, in the dunker spot. And so if that's Danny Green or, or Siaka, maybe guys just not quite as good at help instincts. Maybe you're worried that Embiid could get going a little bit more. Another reason would be well we don't want Gasol to get into early foul trouble, and then also maybe just prevent. Embiid from developing the confidence but I don't think Embiid even had a single straight post up in the second half it was all pick and pop try to attack off the dribble uh, face up I think he might have faced up one time he, he had a step back on, on Gasol but all of it was pretty much out on the floor facing up attacking the basket rather than the post-up game Gasol took him completely out of that and they were right to go away from it frankly but I did think you know you might have tried it you know when it was one-on-one but I think if they're doubling they got pretty good looks off of that in the second quarter maybe that's something they could have gone to a little bit more was hey just throw it into Joel if they're gonna straight double let's just get him in rotation as long as you can do it early.
1: Yeah, and I am absolutely fascinated and con- intrigued by how the pending free agents on both of these teams, but most notably on the Sixers because they're the team that we're not that that isn't going to keep playing, how they interpret this result. Because Tobias Harris, I thought he played a good game. He didn't touch the ball that much. You know, he was he was more of an ancillary player and there is an argument that there could be a conception of the Sixers next year where he touches the ball more that might be if Jimmy Butler's playing elsewhere. And then for Jimmy Butler, I think odds are depending on where he goes, that I don't think he's going to be on a team as good as this. So is he satisfied with this result? Maybe this is, you know, with the, the East shaking out differently, This they could make the conference finals, they could win the NBA title with more depth, all those sorts of things. And so what those players prioritize is... Is altogether a separate and important question. But do they feel like this is unfinished business? Are they you know, like this is as close as you can get? I mean, last second shot defended well by one of the best players in the league. And so and that player might not be on that team anymore either.
0: Yeah, and it is tough, but they made this bed with Tobias Harris when they traded four first round picks essentially for him. And Jimmy Butler, they didn't give up as much, but he was certainly a needed player in these playoffs. He provides an element that they desperately need a pick and roll play making and then if you're going to have those guys how does Simmons fit in and he definitely was underutilized to to some degree would be a much better fit if he could use the ball in his hands where I do think that more of him back to goal trying to post up uh, would be helpful with spacing around him but Butler is not most comfortable as as a three-point shooter so it's these guys have a lot of talent And with maybe a better backup center, they win this series. Who knows? But also, I actually think they were a little bit above their head in the series. If you look at, and I'm guessing this is probably the case again tonight, Toronto had the better shot quality in all seven games of of this series and just shot it abnormally badly from three-point range. And maybe this isn't uh, as close of a series otherwise, particularly in that game two loss so they do have a lot of guys who can make shots maybe you just try to get those guys as assets under contract if you need to move one of them but still to me ben simmons remains the most logical guy to move it's just a question of what that package is and then how much that player would cost it as well with simmons gonna need a max contract soon it's gonna be a very interesting offseason i hope for philly's sake that they don't fire brett braun i don't know who the better coach is who's available right now to him and i think there are a few little foibles you know we talked about today. And beat out you know, there's some things but I think overall he has a pretty progressive stance I think he does a, a pretty good job of getting along with his players and getting them to share the ball there's not a ton that I would look at right now as their scheme and that that's what killed them I think it was the lack of a bench and you know Joel Embiid having one good offensive game in this series and I think Braun got as much out of this group as he could I, they were substantial underdogs in this series to me and to a, they should be really proud of the effort that they've had and they were up against an absolute juggernaut of a team and And uh, I thought they exceeded expectations, but ownership reportedly does not see it that way. And I think it's also interesting going forward here for Kawhi, you know, to have this iconic moment in a Raptors uniform and experience that that adulation, perhaps that makes it a little harder for him to leave, even if uh, they do end up flaming out at some point in the next couple of rounds. So let's turn now to Denver-Portland, another fantastic game, and the place to start here with a a big Game 7 road win is with the classic performance, one of the great Game 7s by CJ McCall.
1: CJ was absolutely fantastic. Let's do the full line first. 37 points, 17 of 29 from the field. All but three of those 29 shots were two pointers. Got to the line for two free throws, so that was 37 points on 30 shooting possessions. Despite basically just taking twos and hit a ton of massive shots. Also had a definitive chase down block, which we'll break down in more detail a little later. And Lillard had an off night. A series of other Blazers, you know, offensively, you know, tons of missed shots for both of these teams. I mean, that we'll we'll talk about that. But CJ kept them afloat and he he was awesome it it was a lot there are players in this league it's one of the separators out there that can take and make tough shots and a lot of cj shots were well contested and not every mid-range shot is a bad shot but but the special players are are the ones that you want taking those and cj mccollum unquestionably one of those players
0: cj and dame mullard deserve a ton of credit for the improvement that they have made against trapping defenses we saw them struggle with that against new orleans a, a year ago as they were unceremoniously swept out of the first round they just came up with a ton of counters to that setting screens higher than the floor now granted they weren't going up against anthony davis this round or in that round against okc for that matter but one of the ones was the ability to snake through and split that trap just lamp pull around your own screener and cj had one of those late in the game to get him an open look uh you know lillard did the same thing he still was able to get penetration on most of those plays he had eight assists and the shot was not going down although he hit two huge ones in the fourth quarter he was only three out of 17 in his 45 minutes both CJ and Dame played the entire second half by the way and so it really was a a team-wide thing to beat that strategy and for the Nuggets what they're trying to do is protect their big in pick and roll defense and get the ball out of those guys hands Lillard had by far his lowest usage in the regular season against any team against the Nuggets and those guys were able to get up 46 shots 46 of the blazers 93 shots between those two guys and that was just enough and also credit to dame millard for recognizing he's in the middle of a rough game and just letting cj be the engine down the end there's not a lot of guys who do it there's a possession late where dame is about to go get a dho and he instead says no and goes and gets cj in the corner and screens for him so he can go get the dho and i think McCollum scored it on that possession and that's that when people talk about about the type of leadership Lillardship, <laughs> I was about to say uh in Portland that's it and Dame is really happy to be moving on he had his moment of glory in the first series And it was CJ's turn in this one to be the main offensive engine. And uh, that 37 points was fantastic.
1: Something that I think is notable and amazing about this game, Lillard, McCollum, and Ennis Canner all played 40 plus minutes. No other Blazer played more than half of this game. Two of their starters were basic, were barely a part of the, well, one didn't play in the second half. One didn't play that much in the second half. And then a lot of the backups, you know, filled in those gaps. So it really was, you know, three solid pieces who basically played the entire second half and then trying different things around it to see what worked.
0: Another big part of the story of this game was Portland's 15% shooting from three was actually only second worst in this game because Denver shot... Eleven percent from three. Denver did not make a three pointer in the second half. They were two out of nineteen. Portland was four out of twenty-six. Uh, and Lillard, we said, oh, he didn't have a good game stream for three, two for nine. Well, actually, that twenty-two percent that was much better <laughs> than just about anyone else. He, shot he had
1: half of their makes in a third of their
0: attempts. And <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we need to turn a little bit uh, to Denver here.
1: Yeah, I, actually, I have a place I want to start with that. Yeah, this was a long and exhausting and thrilling day. It would be justified for people people to forget that this happened with seven minutes and 26 seconds left in the second quarter of this game Denver was up 39 to 22 it looked like they had control Jokic the vaunted Jokic break had already happened they had survived it I think they had actually increased the lead by a few points and Canner had come back in it looks like it was it was going to be the main guys and then that's really when Portland when CJ and Portland just started kicking it into gear and then they cut it to nine at the end of the first at the first half and you and i I've talked about it before of you know like when a team is playing really well and they just can't close it all the way they they didn't shut the door they got pretty dang close but beyond the terrible shooting everything else like that like I had even for I knew they were ahead by a lot I didn't realize when I went back and started watching it that it was 17.
0: yeah no i mean it was a brief period 39 22 and then it really to me was an offensive failure for the nuggets and nikola jokic played 42 minutes in this one got 3 minutes of rest perhaps was 11 out of 26 but he said it you know he doesn't expect to make every shot but there were shots that were missed that he usually makes in this game he had their only two makes from three point range by the way that's that's not his fault necessarily but it's only get up 19 three point attempts is not good enough and i think they kind of stopped shooting those they're, they're
1: backcourt yeah. back only two. Took five combined, yeah, and they played a combined seventy-seven minutes. That's unbelievable.
0: Now, when you're playing Mason Plumlee together with Jokic a bunch of time, Millsap is not a great three-point shooter. Torrey Craig was unable to duplicate his three-point success from the San Antonio series in this one. So they don't have great three-point marksmen on this team. I did think that they still could have done a little more Jokic post-ups, a little bit less of the pick and roll, especially once Murray, after that, getting to the line some in the first. First quarter really clearly did not have it in this game. Uh but another thing that really stands out here is only two assists for Jokic and part of that was I think Portland did a pretty good job staying home on shooters, but a lot of that too was guys just missing the looks that, that he was setting up. I mean that's just an incredibly low number of assists for Nikola Jokic. And while they did Jokic actually was negative I think for just the second time in the series in the, and that was each of the last two games as well he was actually negative two they did outscore him or, or outscore Denver when he was on the floor milsap who was so awesome through the first five games really struggled the last two games three of 13. Evan Turner who we should probably talk to in a moment here was pretty darn good on milsap but milsap couldn't get a lot of those mid- Rangers that he had before even so to go even so yeah.
1: I thought one of the tactical mistakes in this game was mike Malone being too cautious when Paul milsap got in foul trouble because Denver just didn't have that many other options. And Millsap, yeah, it, it's entirely possible that he could have picked up his foul, but I thought I thought that being cautious there, pulling him, and being without one of your best players, one of your core defenders for such a long stretch of the, sec- of the fourth quarter was a real problem. You know, he picked up his fourth with 9.57 to go, picked up his fifth with 7.24 to go, and at that point, Portland was ahead, so it wasn't like you're, you're going into that. But then Millsap didn't come in again for three whole minutes, and I thought, I thought they could have used him.
0: Yeah, he did eventually foul out, uh, but uh, but super the game late. was pretty much yeah, decided. Yeah, he, he
1: fouled out committing an intentional foul when the game was basically
0: right. Right. Let's talk about Turner now. We were concerned, foolishly it turned out, that Terry Stotts would see, oh, Evan Turner was in the game when we made our run in the fourth quarter and then overplay him. And he did that. You know, he played a, a lot at the end of the second, but they made a run at the end of the second to get back into it. And then 10 fourth quarter points, I think he had like four, 4 points in the series coming in to tonight and uh he finished with 14 points three of seven eight of nine from the foul line got it on the defensive glass uh, as well had some offensive rebounds and it was neil o'shea's vision down the end a a lot it didn't work that well but uh, of turner handling the ball and lillard and mccollum trying to come off the screens but turner did just enough attacking off the dribble and hit a a mid-ranger or two and just scrappy energetic play which in a game like this when neither team can hit a three-pointer takes on an added important
1: yeah he had a few big plays not only you were right Evan Turner only had four points in this series before game seven he had four in their win in Denver in game two he had three total points in the OKC series it wasn't like oh he's just having a cold stretch or something like that including game seven he shot 13% from the field in this series
0: there are a lot of storylines that occurred earlier in this game they start for Portland they start Harkless and Aminu both of them go out of the game after seven minutes and never come back in during the first half aminu himself got the ultra pogans he played the first seven minutes and never came back in the game they went with hood and collins but that group continued to struggle for a while they played collins and cancer together a lot of the time collins i thought was huge in their run in the third quarter in which they outscored the nuggets 32 24 to get back into contact where he was a on four fouls for probably like maybe five minutes and every single possession he was like contesting a pass going for a rebound something that made him cause contact and could potentially have been a foul but
1: many of them actually were fouls
0: But he had four blocks. Again, he was just absolutely critical because Denver had been getting inside quite a bit early on in this game. So he was key there. And then we thought, oh man, he just got his fifth. After he got his fourth, you know, going after some no-hope play in the backcourt. Uh, They leave him in, which was good by Stotts. They leave him in, and then he ends up getting his fifth about halfway through the third. He comes back in to start the fourth quarter with five fouls. And I said at the time on the cast, oh man, I'm going to eat my slipper if he doesn't fall out of this game, but they actually just took him out of the game after like three or four minutes and went back to Turner as Turner and Cantor uh, who closed it. uh
1: Well, and I want to talk about what Collins was doing because the most important part was that Nikola Jokic often drags his man away from the rim. Yes. To be as a, you know, as operating from the elbow, sh- three point shooter, high screener, all those sorts of th- First of all, Zach Collins is a better rim protector than Ennis Cantor anyway, but having another player, not only for rim protection by everything that was happening by a non Jokic player, but also having a second big body when Jokic tried to get in the lane. There was one big play where Jokic rolled past Canner, was trying to shoot this righty kind of kind of hook shot. I guess I guess would probably be the best best descriptor for it. And he ran into Zach Collins too. And that bump made it a lot harder. He missed that shot. I think Canner ended up getting the rebound. And it got Denver off of their rhythm. And that wasn't the reason they missed a bunch of threes or anything like that, but I thought it made life harder on the nuggets on the interior. And that when you combine those harder shots and a couple of turnovers and defensive rebounds you combine those with the three-point shooting and that helped flatline denver's offense and give portland the window to get back in this game
0: yeah they did play rodney hood 20 minutes but about midway through the third he got hit uh, on what should have been a foul call because what tory craig did was he stuck his knee out as he was setting the screen on hood and that caused hood to hyperextend uh, his knee and some question about whether he'll be available for the west finals now but that did not look good but hopefully nothing severe I and mean, we've seen hood go down with some injuries that we thought were really bad and it turned out he was okay afterwards so uh, hopefully that's the case but losing him seemed like a, a huge blow they're playing him uh, at the three quite a bit and, and that also made it difficult because then you they kind of had to choose between uh, collins uh, and turner down the end and they were looking for uh mo harkless who came back in and, and had a, a big end with three offensive rebounds uh, to the game as well he played 10 minutes from that point forth they never went back to a menu but it was Harkless and Turner together down the end to give them just enough defense and athleticism and rebounding that CJ was able to take him home well before we get to
1: that I want to mention the other part of Harkless's end of the game and he committed two bad unnecessary fouls in the fourth quarter when Denver was already in the bonus and Denver was not scoring they were their half-court offense they they had this really long stretch where Denver didn't score, they didn't score a shot from the field from Nikola Jokic making, he made, I think he made a layup with 745 left. And they made some free throws during this, including the ones that I just talked about. And I think the next made shot that they had was Gary Harris with 211 remaining. They got free throws, as I said, but I think those were the, that that stretch was where they didn't have a single made field goal. And Harkless gave them a couple, I think he had one on Millsap and then he had one on on Jamal Murray that gave, gave Denver a little bit, more life when there was you know there was a point in the I talked about how they were up seven Denver was up seventeen Portland was up ninety two to eighty five seven points with about three minutes to go and I I thought it looked like you know they're about to seal it away and then it got close again late
0: yeah a couple other notes uh, uh, on the meat of the game here before we get to the end there are a few plays in the second half early in the second half where it looked like portland's comeback would be thwarted one was that hood play where he goes down they play on and denver ends up getting an and one and collins's fifth foul it was a three-point game right before that exchange portland decided to start collins and hood in the second half you wonder why they didn't just do that to begin with if they thought that was the the best lineup there was another play where portland had cut it to two harris got an and one on leonard and then Plumlee just went right around cancer on the free throw and Murray got a dunk with Cantor again not helping at all on that play so you thought that Denver had some chances to stanch the bleeding but Portland just kept coming you thought that maybe Denver could close it a little stronger than Portland because CJ McCollum played the whole second half and so did Lillard while well, their guys all got some rust and, and you know Millsap 32 minutes Craig 33 even Jokic was only 42 Harris and Murray were both under 40 but that didn't turn out to be the case and that was just basically CJ making shots down the end and he I just have so much respect for how well conditioned he is I mean he looked like he never had a single issue in that four overtime game never had a single issue tonight despite playing the whole second half I and mean, he, he played just a ton of minutes in this series and always seemed to have uh, the ability to make shots at the end even though he was so exhausted you could tell he wasn't even getting off the ground on these jumpers and yet he still is just draining them it, it was uh, fantastic anything else you want to say on uh, the meat of the game before we talk about of the key possession's at the end?
1: No, I think we can go to the key possession.
0: So, probably the absolute biggest play of the game to me. Portland had maintained about a four-point lead throughout most of the fourth quarter. 3.20 left. Turner misses an awful shot at the free throw line over Millsap, really well contested. Jokic gets the rebound, outlets it, and Dame Lillard sneaks in and steals the outlet, goes right at Jokic with the euro step and realizes he doesn't have the shot. So he does a Steph Curry, and he throws it out to Turner, and then just... Dead sprints to the corner, Jokic just not having just turned it over, just not there mentally. I mean, very few centers are going to make that play of all right. I'm going to stick with Dame Lillard all the way out to the corner now on this play. But Lillard just knew he was going to be able to get a wide open three there. It was a mental error from Jokic, despite the fact that you know it's not a play that centers are commonly going to make. So that put Portland up seven. It looked like. It was pretty much over at that point, up seven with three minutes left. You know, you've know you got about six or seven possessions left. And then Denver proceeds to score eight points on their next four possessions. Three of them were off Portland mistakes. They had a McCollum miss where three Blazers go for the offensive rebound and they get a fast break layup for Gary Harris. That play was like right out of the 1980s. Uh, they had two really bad fouls, uh, one after like five seconds of the shot clock by Harkos on the floor that, that you mentioned on Murray. And then Lillard reached in on a loose ball and, and fouled Murray. So, And they are in the bonus. They got two free throws out of that. Uh, Jokic hit a, a floater in pick and roll and got it to one with about a minute 30 left. So another thing that stuck out to me, and obviously you're not going for the three necessarily this early on, but three times in the last two minutes of the game, Denver had the ball down three and they never once attempted a shot that could have tied the game and you're definitely taking a risk there especially in the end especially when you go for the quick two which we'll get to but yeah they're shooting two and 19 from three you gotta assume though that these guys who are good shooters are are not any less likely to make those shots because you've had a bad shooting game going into tonight if if you're open and you know they didn't really run anything to get three-point looks and that is a weakness of this Denver roster you know they don't really have anyone who's able to just just rise up for a three off the dribble or even coming off a screen like jail green style either you know murray has a pretty low release point he doesn't get a ton of separation for three-pointers and harris can come off screens every now and again or, or shoot him in the dho game but portland did a really good job uh, on him and then you know those are really the only two guys Jokic is too slow of a release on his pick and pop to be a huge threat there so you know the the 19 three-point attempts that's a little bit of a symptom uh, of what this roster is and, and you know also having a four like Millsap who's not really looking to take the three-pointer a lot Craig is out there he's not a great shooter so yeah you know, it's tough for this team to come back at the end when three-pointers are pretty tough to be found here
1: one of the stranger decisions towards the end of this game gets into those possessions where Denver didn't get a three CJ makes a free throw line jumper I believe was over Torrey Craig to make it a three-point game 98-95 with 11.4 seconds left
0: and well and quickly I mean the two shots that he hit oh. in the last two minutes were both absolutely ridiculous one of them was when he split the pick and roll the other one they just went with a straight one four flat and Denver on that possession you know after they had gotten another two with Murray to to get within one and there was a six second differential at that point they go with just a one four flat so basically you got two guys in the corner and two guys standing on on either side of the lane so it's a little tough to bring a double there but you also don't have a ton of spacing like it could be possible and they did not do that maybe they could have they had a lineup in there with Jokic out of the game that maybe could have switched everything they had Millsap at center for one of the first times in the series but they did not run a double at McCollum he went pretty early too by the way I mean he could have run the time down another five seconds or so and that could have ended up hurting them if uh in fact he had missed but you know he made it and he was absolutely fantastic but then yeah the everything that happened was very odd there after that denver taking their last time out to advance the ball with uh 11.4 seconds remaining denver down three denver
1: advances the ball down three and it would have made sense for portland to there are a couple different defensive schemes that you can go into could try a switch everything try no threes both of those things that's a good way to prevent a team from getting a potential game tying three and if in basically any of the defensive theories seth curry would not be on the floor curry is I thought he had a rough game defensively overall. He had had some mistakes. He ended up, you know, positive plus minus, but I don't think that that is indicative of his play in this game. And he ends up on Nikola Jokic around the free throw line. So Denver inbounds the ball to Jokic. Curry fouls him in the air. And so you have all these different things. So one is Curry's on the floor, shouldn't be on the floor, inbounding the ball well inside the two-point line. And then, so, so then not a chance to tie. And then, I mean... For the second time in this series, and he had a, a spectacular series overall, Nikola Jokic missed a big free throw.
0: Yeah, that was it's, a killer. It, and, sucks. And it was the f- I mean, he had yeah. he
1: played so well, and, I mean, it, it it can happen. You know, I don't think he choked. I don't think anything like that. He just missed a free throw.
0: Yeah, and Denver missed a lot of free throws. They, yeah, they, they were did. better in the second half, but they missed 11 free throws in this game. They shot a lot more free throws than Portland did, and a, a bunch of them were late. But through a, a lot of the game, you know, they only shot 72%. Portland was eighty three percent. That's uh, yep, you know, that's another thing you can look at uh, as uh, your game right there. And yeah, I mean, Jokic is going to look back on those, and he he put the loss on him, and obviously he was their best player and one of the few guys to shoot it even passably well in this game. So it's tough to put the blame on him, but that's certainly something that he's going to be thinking about. Both of those just incredibly close games. Now he makes that first free throw. They still have no timeouts left, so that they, they would have been trying to play the foul game. And Portland has really good free throw shooters. I'm thinking, I thought that perhaps maybe that's why they put curry in was because if they went for the quick two then they could get in into curry and he could be a free throw shooter but they ended up having to take him out so they could uh try to rebound the free throw i thought that actually with no timeouts left Jokic probably should have missed the second free throw intentionally and you know if you say hey we're we're if we're trying absolutely as hard as we can and he's going to miss it to a specific spot you know maybe we've got a 25 30 chance of getting the offensive rebound and you've probably got a worse chance than that of ever even getting a chance to tie right i mean you think about if you get that rebound you've got a 25% chance of getting that rebound so you have a 25% chance of getting a shot to tie it whereas just hitting one of the free throws and then you have to hope for a turnover or you have to hope to that one of these great free throw shooters is going to miss free throws because there isn't really time to trap and try and get a turnover really you know, I, I think intentionally missing it, it would be a little bit better because at least then it's like at least it's in your hands at that point at least you could get a rebound it's it's within your power and they went for the quick two and and people always say what coaches will tell you if you say, well, why you wouldn't go for the three, and with no timeout, they have to go for the three, too, three, The three also to avoid confusion. What coaches will say is, well, if you miss the three, then the game is over. And that's like too big of a risk that just the game is over. Well, number one, you're trying to win the game, not just stay in the game. And number two, isn't it a much bigger risk that you have it within your hands right now to take a three pointer and it could be on your team whether the game gets tied or not? If you go for the quick two, now you are depending on the other. Team to screw up or miss some free throws, and isn't it a huge risk that you just never get a chance to tie the game? Like, isn't that a scarier proposition than "quote unquote" the game being over? And so, yeah, just inbounding it right to Jokic. I guess they're trying to get a very quick two, but you know, especially like on a post up to Jokic, they're like, that's not even against a smaller player. That's not like an automatic shot. You know, I mean, you really the math on it is like you have to have like a seventy or eighty percent chance of making that two pointer to have it even begin to work out in your favor, and especially with no. Timeouts, and especially when you consider that if you come back later and you need a three, you're doing it with no timeouts, and they they can foul now to prevent you again from ever getting a chance to tie it. So to me, that's just the biggest risk in that situation is you never actually get a shot in the air that can tie the game, and that's what ended up happening to the Nuggets in this one.
1: And the way it happened was a little bit chaotic. So the, the Blazers had a timeout left, so they called the timeout, and then something that I I don't particularly like on those like kind on those inbounds where you're inbounding with the intention of a good good free throws you're getting it. i like to have at least a, somebody on the floor who's a capable screener and so you can try to use that to create separation all the portland guys scatter in different directions none of them is particularly open but the ball ends up getting to evan turner turner drives towards the basket it looked like it was actually a shooting foul not that it made any difference because yeah portland was in the bonus and so you're you're up to in that situation make two it's over evan turner
0: ices the series yeah two big free throws uh, from turner and uh <laughs> The jokes were that he earned every dollar of, of that 18 million in this game.
1: Well, he, he earned ownership of our made ownership, a of bunch of extra playoff revenue. So yeah, yeah, no, that's a, that's
0: a great point there. Uh,
1: well, I I've waited, I've waited. I don't know how long this will be when it airs, but like an hour and 10 minutes, I think it might be time for my victory lap. <laughs> Picking a road, picking a road team to win a game seven was was pretty exciting, and yeah. it, there is there is the downside that I think this creates a less interesting Western Conference Finals. But being right is pretty nice, and I'm, I'll I'll relish that. I'll enjoy it, and it does give me. I, I, based on the weird scoring system that I'm testing out for these playoffs, I have I currently have a a small lead, a four point lead because of that. But I mean, that was one hell of a game, and I mean today today was one of the more fun days of basketball, especially for only having two games that I can remember just because of the insanely high stakes, both games being so close late and some really definitive plays. I mean, we didn't talk enough about CJ's chase down block. He yeah. gets in, it, it's Jamal Murray driving down the court. And as is often the case on these plays, there the highlight goes to one guy, but it never happens without a second defender. In this case, it was Seth Curry on the LeBron chase down block of Iguodal, It was J.R. Smith slowing the driver down because you generally, even, even though guys are slower with the ball than they are just running, the difference in speeds, you you could usually get that layup if no one was in your way. And it slowed Murray down enough and it was a beautiful, clean block by CJ. And so you could argue that the two best plays of this crunch time by Portland were defensive because that was a few that was like a minute before
0: Lillard steal and three I want to talk a little bit more uh, about Denver and what this says about their team going forward but I want to tell you about goat.com first Kawhi Leonard only the second ever buzzer beater to win a deciding game of a playoff series the other one was Michael Jordan in 1989 against the Cavs so uh, one of the greatest shots of all time but the greatest of all time when you're trying to buy and sell authentic sneakers online is goat.com the largest marketplace in the world for authentic yeezys jordans and over 600 sneaker listings they only accept sellers with the best reputation and they then independently verify all sneakers to ensure their authenticity they inspect every detail they've got people that know what a pair of jordans is supposed to smell like they inspect the stitching the color the size the weight they make sure every pair of sneakers that gets sent to you matches exact factory specification the seller sends it to them they send it to you making sure that it is 100 authentic fake shoes online is a major problem but goat.com can give you peace of mind find the perfect 100 authentic sneaker at goat.com slash space don't forget that slash catspace. space you're out to let them know that you came from us support our show and go to goat.com g-o-a-t.com slash space once again goat.com slash space so the irony of this matchup and this result is thick given what happened Happened at the end of the regular season. You'll recall that Denver actually lost intentionally to Portland to boost Portland's seeding in the hopes that Houston would fall to the fourth seed. Portland was not interested in Houston falling to the fourth seed. They wanted to be the fourth seed because they wanted to play, apparently, Utah rather than OKC, which I thought was crazy at the time. But Portland, despite trailing by, what was it, like 27 points to the Kings on the last day of the season? Anthony signed. Diamonds scores 37 points. And leads them back to a victory. They're playing six guys, and almost all of them played 48 minutes. And yet somehow they come back on the Kings, who only played their starters in the first half. And so Portland foils their own attempt to tank against the Nuggets tanking and ends up on this side of the bracket, which is where I would have wanted to be all along, but they apparently didn't want to be. That puts Houston on the other side of the bracket. Portland wins. Denver wins. They play each other for real. And Portland now beats Denver. Zach Lowe is saying the basketball gods were finally going to come come for denver at some point maybe that was the two for nine three point two for 19 three point shooting in this game but portland arguably deserved just as much for resting their guys uh, on the last day of the season and portland comes out with the win but this whole series all happens because these teams both tried one failed in manipulating the standings then a bunch of other crazy shit had to happen too with like you know okc hitting that buzzer beater against houston and uh denver coming back against minnesota where they were down by like eight points with three minutes left in that game and then i think this is a really disappointing performance from denver i thought that the nuggets were a little bit overrated all season but once i saw the bracket i thought they're gonna make it to the west final i think they have more talent than portland they looked like the much better team and they really, frankly, I think I wouldn't say choked, but they performed well below the level they're capable of in Game Two and Game Seven. They made more mistakes in that quadruple overtime game than Portland did. Denver was capable of winning the series. I think they had more talent, and they should have won this series that they did not. And you know, there's a lot of noise out of Denver. Oh, we made this is a great team. This is just the start for us. Eh, we'll see. You know, I, I don't think it's. I mean, they had a pretty easy matchup in. In this second round with no use of Nurkic and they should have won and this Portland team we'll see how they play in the next round maybe I'll be wrong and they're gonna be exhausted too but this Portland team is A team that probably loses in the first round half the time uh, in a normal Western Conference. And so Jokic played really well in the playoffs. Okay, they played against two below average defenses. They had some really ugly offensive performances with not enough three pointers and not enough shooting in these playoffs. And they weren't really able to find an answer for Portland's guards defensively because they just have some structural limitations in terms of what Jokic should do. I thought Jokic, to me, actually had a better defensive series than I was expecting. But when it came down to it, they still couldn't guard. CJ and pick and roll in this game so while I think Denver overperformed preseason expectations based on what they did during this season I thought they underperformed a little bit in the playoffs and to say all right this is a team that's going to be in the second round automatically for years to go here I'm not quite buying that they got more moves that they need to make these guys got to get a lot better Murray and Jokic in particular they got to find a way to be a little bit less Jokic centric on offense I think so I'll be very curious to see what happens to them this offseason whether Millsap is going to be back, and whether they can get someone else on the wing, whether Michael Porter can contribute, maybe someone like Hernan Gomez can contribute more, but they do need a little bit more, I think, to really get into being a serious contender in the West, and I think while Denver deserves credit for getting to the second round the context of who they played in these playoffs and ended up losing to i think is important when you look at all right your your real goal here is to actually get out of the western conference and are you going to be able to beat those best teams you know i don't know that this is this playoffs despite the fact that they got to a game seven in the second round is a positive data point in their favor necessarily
1: i want to push back i want to push back on a couple parts of that and then agree with a couple parts so the one thing i was really surprised you didn't emphasize and i would i was more disappointed in their first round in their second round that san antonio team was was uninspiring to me i thought that denver should have dispatched them pretty cleanly you know like maybe it ends up going six just because san antonio is hitting shots and denver's missing them for a game but there were some warning signs that i had that were similar to when i saw toronto struggle with washington last year and just went oh crap like that that they just didn't have all of it and and both of those teams i think were better than their first round series but you still have that and and for Denver, my issue with with what you said is not necessarily that it is inaccurate. I think that it is taking a framing that is a little bit unfair to the Nuggets. If the goal for them is to win the Western Conference Finals or win a championship, I don't think they're constructed well enough to do that. And that isn't because Tim Connolly has done a bad job. Is just because the threshold for winning a championship, for being at the level to win a conference, to have a serious, you know, like for example, like Portland made the Western Conference Finals this year. They're not a title contender. They're not. They're not going to win the championship even if they made it they would get waxed by both of the other teams that are there and great for them that they made it this far and I agree with you they would have lost in the first round in a lot of different permutations of this I don't think that's too big a deal for Denver because winning 50 games which is what they were they outperformed their point differential that's a great accomplishment that's a really good team they're young they'll get better I do worry I think like you do a little bit that how the aging curve affects them is more problematic than something because yeah there are a lot of stats about oh they're like the fourth youngest team in the league and all that but one of their key players is paul milsap who is way older than that and they don't yeah. have a replacement And it's
0: still like their most athletic player even right and and they don't they don't have a
1: replacement for him sure if michael porter jr becomes becomes awesome as an offense down very different type of player and denver doesn't have a, a they don't have a three they happen to face Two teams in the playoffs where their lack of a a two way small forward was not that big. Torrey Craig hit a, hit a series of threes, that five for seven against the Spurs, most notably, but they don't have that guy. Will Barton is not that guy. Torrey Craig, maybe if he improves there, but remember, we're not in the rare. He wasn't in the rarefied air here. This was against two teams that do not really threaten in the way that Golden State would or Toronto, Milwaukee, and they're always going to be teams like that. They might not always be run by forwards, but there will always be teams. Teams that have that level of overall talent, and I see Denver just as a tier below that. And I don't think there's any shame, any anything. And and I try not to get worked up by those who overhype something because that's overhyped. And so for me, if Denver wins 48 to 53 games, and they're not a serious title contender, but they're in the mix, depending on seeding, they make the second round, first second or third round. There's that's a good team. That's a really really good team. And if Jokic and yeah. Murray take big steps forward if Gary Harris can can do something maybe they can push beyond that but it's so hard to get beyond that point without you know like basically two you know if you don't have two undoubtable all-stars or like two future hall of famers getting into the title conversation is functionally impossible
0: well i guess what i would say is this i think there are some people who feel better about Denver's future after this playoffs and i feel worse about it because they didn't play anyone and they lost to a Portland team, and they couldn't score in, in a bunch of games against this Portland team that is not a good defense team. And maybe that's playoff inexperience, or maybe their players aren't that good. I mean, they had guys who had moments, but again, you know, they're going against below average defenses, and they didn't prove anything to me in these playoffs. Is what I'm saying. They didn't play a real team where they could have proved anything, and and that's what kind of makes this a little bit difficult. And yeah, they, they should be happy about their overall season, but I do think they should be disappointed in their play. Um, let's talk now about the Blazers and Warriors series in which one team starts Ennis Cantor at center and the other team has Steph Curry and Klay Thompson coming off of screens set by Golden State Center.
1: That is one problem among many for Portland. One that I'm going to focus on a lot. Portland does not generate turnovers. Now, the Warriors can generate turnovers themselves because
0: <laughs> yeah, they yeah, do against that. against their own offense. They can,
1: they can do that. But I think Portland's lack of forcing turnovers is going to be a big problem for them in the series and a lot of the limitations that OKC and Denver were not able to exploit are going to be on full display against the Warriors and they're not going to be able to pull off I mean hopefully Rodney Hood is healthy enough to play but they're not going to be able to pull off you know these extended minutes for Evan Turner or you know spot minutes for Myers Leonard all those type of things because the Warriors even with their depth issues they just play so many different players that punish inferior talent. And they're coming off of a Houston series where not only did iron sharpen iron, but they had to deal with such complicated defensive, like they dealt with defense that is well suited to attack what the Warriors do well, with personnel that can execute that system about as well as could be reasonably expected. And Houston, Daryl Morey's talked about how he's obsessed with the Warriors. They play the Warriors incredibly well, incredibly hard. And Portland is not that type of team. And we've seen the Warriors beat the Blazers in a playoff series undermanned and I think we're about to see it again
0: now I could see the Warriors having a mental letdown and if they had gone against Denver I think Denver especially with the unique threat that Jokic prevents they've had some trouble stopping him at times with no cousins and no KD at the start of the series and the Warriors very pleased with themselves rightfully so for being Houston in the manner that they did you could see there being a letdown I think the fact that they really respect Damon CJ that they've played these guys in the playoffs before and yeah they've beaten them but they also know that it's hard it, Draymond at one point said yeah this didn't feel like a five game series to me when, when they beat him back in, I think in 2016 but they match up really really well against the Blazers defense the Blazers defense is built on a conservative drop pick and roll coverage that you just cannot play that against the Golden State Warriors and they don't do a lot of switching either so now Klay Thompson he can get open whenever he wants to coming off a, a screen CJ McCollum is going to be the one probably who guards him I guess they would go with Harkless on Curry you know they need to hide Dame Lillard in this situation and they'll at least be able to do that theoretically we'll see if Andre Iguodala continues to start he probably will but he could Lillard can hide on him but Iguodala is a great screener uh, as well Portland just simply has not been able to shrink the floor force the Warriors into mid rangers take away the basket the way they like to they've never had great defensive personnel they do the best they can with this group, but now especially with you know they've had Plumley, they've had Nurkic in past years, even Noah Vonley All those guys are much better defensively than a one-armed Ennis Cantor. And while Cantor has done played the best defense of his career by far, we've seen what happens when he gets out in space uh, against a, a Warriors team. Um, we've seen the Warriors do well against Portland when they didn't have Steph Curry in 2016. We've also seen them take care of Portland in two games without Kevin Durant in 2017. The Warriors I think are not as good as they were at those times with their support guys but Draymond Green still is going to cause a lot of problems if you try to put Evan Turner in the game you try to put Zach Collins in the game now Draymond Green is just going to guard those guys and he's going to completely muck everything up with your help defense one thing I'll be looking at very closely though presumably Kerr is going to go to starting Andrew Bogut to match up against Cantor, and it'll be conventional pick and roll defense for the Warriors and it'll be a drop coverage and Dame Lillard and CJ will have a chance to get going. I think early in game. Now, when the Warriors go with Green at center, or they go with Looney and they switch, then we'll see whether Dame and CJ will be able to do enough. But and I think Portland can score okay at times. Like those guys will have a chance to get hot in this series. And you know that's how you could maybe see Portland winning a game or two. But I just don't see how Portland slows down this Warriors offense at all. We've seen them try at times to go with uh, Aminu at center and try and switch everything and they just that's just not something that they do regularly the Warriors have completely carved that up in the past well and Portland doesn't have the
1: personnel either they 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 don't have enough wings Olshay has filled gaps impressively at other spots you know getting Seth Curry as a guard in the guard rotation they you know replaced had Pat Connaughton replaced him all all those other spots but they haven't done that at forward and the Warriors are loaded at forward they have a lot of intelligent players and so two other things that I'm going to be watching injury returns, how long does... Kevin Durant sit in this series is he you know do are the Warriors more cautious because they're facing a team that that they can that they can handle I would recommend being as cautious as they can be you know in, in conscience maybe Portland sneaks a game at Oracle it's entirely possible and then that pushes it a little bit Mark Stein is reported there's also a possibility Demarcus Cousins returns during the conference finals that'll be notable and then the second one for years now there has been this idea which I think is fair of the Draymond at center lineups the death lineup being the most prominent among those being kind of like a sign of respect and that you how often it, how often they go to it is there golden state had to work their guys incredibly hard in the rocket series high minute totals high leverage all that i wonder how much kerr wants to pull back on those reigns. and that might create an avenue for portland as well because while their guys are tired if they're playing their best players more frequently it's an advantage
0: yeah it is but they also those guys are going to get run ragged on the defensive end and, and one of the things about the warrior's that we've seen. And some of the. Houston is another one of these. Cleveland, when they are at their best with LeBron and all those shooters, is you get to the point against these teams, the best teams. We saw it too in the Toronto Philly series where you put certain guys out there and they just can't compete. They can't be out there. You're going to get killed if that guy is out there. And now we get into the point where Portland has guys with significant limitations. Aminu shot it so poorly that he was totally out of the rotation. They have to get more from him. He's going to. They need him defensively in this series. Harkless, a, another guy. Guy who's under 30% from three this year. Turner doesn't even pretend to shoot threes anymore. The Warriors have always just never respected him at all and have always killed him. His plus-minus against the Warriors that has been really rough. Hood looks like he's probably not gonna be able to play, and you know, his defense would be a, a big liability. And anyway, Cantor did not really get exposed too badly because these teams don't run a great spread pick and roll that they win against. Now they're gonna have to deal with that. And so yeah, having KD out, that's an issue, especially if Kerr wants to pull back on the minutes with Iguadala in particular, and you could see him being back at like 30 minutes a game now. We see more McKinney, but those guys, you can play those guys who aren't that great against Portland. They have places that you can hide. They're not moving the ball enough that you're involving all the guys in the defensive action. You can get away with it. a guy like a, a McKinney or a Jarebko could get some minutes and just try to space the floor. Bogut can play some defensively, although I think he's actually probably the guy who's going to be most negatively affected Um, because he just can't get out on the floor at all the way we saw even Jokic do so they may end up having to just go with starting Looney and maybe playing Jordan Bell more and going to more of a a speed system defensively to take the ball out of those guys hands but I do think the the other thing the Warriors can do is they're going to make the other guys beat them in a way that Denver and even OKC did not have the capability to do they are too smart and they've got too many guys who are too quick that they can force the ball into the hands of the guys that they want shooting jump shots so i mean even with kd out i think the talent gap has narrowed to be sure between these teams but i think the matchup is so in favor of golden state even with kd out i think i'm ultimately going to go with
1: if it helps i can i i I can do my pick while you think whose
0: whose turn is it to go first this time do you mind? i
1: have no idea
0: (laughs) <laughs> now I'll go first. I'm gonna go Warriors in five.
1: I have the same thing.
0: Gah! Well, yeah. Now you have to lead. Of course, you're just gonna pick exactly what I did.
1: Yeah, but I, I think what's
0: that's that's actually what we should have to do. Although, see, I could game it the other way of just see what you did. And well, then, and if you remember variance, the time that you you else. beat
1: me in the 2017 playoffs, it was because of that. You were behind, and so you picked Cleveland to win in the finals because that was oh no, sorry, 2016 playoffs because that Is was that, that was did? the only way you could win, and and wow. so you did it, and then they won. <laughs> Which was amazing, but uh, but yeah, I, I did
0: not believe in the in my heart of hearts that Cleveland was going to win right. the series. I could be uh, but, quite upfront about that. But yeah,
1: I think this is just a brutal matchup for Portland. And it, so here's a question I want to ask you. We do this sometimes when we have a when we often when we pick the same thing. If you had to guess, more likely that this is a four game series or a six game
0: series. Six game series. I agree. I, I could see maybe just the fact that Katie is out and the lack of depth maybe affecting the Warriors in ways that we don't anticipate. But I also think the fatigue level for Portland. Portland is going to catch up to them after another marathon game. uh The Warriors have had a lot of time off to recover, so it's gonna. It's hard for me to see Portland getting them in Game One, and you know, I mean, they have to win one of the first two, otherwise, obviously, the series is over. And we'll see when KD gets back. I mean, he's supposed to be reevaluated what uh, uh before Game Two? Is that right?
1: They they had said a week. I would say yeah. I would say between Games One and Two would be my guess as right yeah, now.
0: because Game Game Two is on Thursday. Thursday? Yeah, so and, and that's a week. After So, yeah, he'll be revalued on Thursday. You would imagine that he's not going to play in game two if it's 1 1 or 2 0 Portland somehow. You know, maybe he comes back. I mean, but Cavs are not the thing you want to rush back from. I could see maybe the Warriors because we're every other day in this series the entire way through actually because this this previous series went so long um so you could see them just holding kd out until they really get pressed in the series no reason to bring him back until then so maybe maybe it ends up being 2-2 at some point and then kd comes back and and uh the warriors close it out from there i mean if if kd were healthy i would have picked a sweep in this probably um let's talk the little lakers they've hired a coach frank vogel late of the orlando magic and indiana pacers is the new head coach of the lakers they were able to impose their contract structure on him with a three-year deal five million per year though that's pretty good so
1: oh that's not all they imposed on frank vogel
0: (laughs) jason kidd will be the lead assistant uh
1: as damon rangula called him Kittlefinger. and i'm gonna use that a lot i mean this is (laughs) this is just treacherous i mean the the water is 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 just chummed up not only do you have i mean so windhorst in his piece made the made a, a really apt comparison between David Blatt, who, you know, a coach that was well-respected tactically around around the league, even though Blatt had not coached in the NBA the way that Frank Vogel has, having a top assistant put on him who had a connection, you know, who, who could connect with LeBron as a player. And so you use that dynamic, but then you ramp it up with a player that we know LeBron has great affinity for, a personal connection due to their Team USA time and great respect for kids game. That is ominous and it is not a circumstance where the coach in waiting is this like you know underrated tactical genius are gonna unlock all this stuff the coach and the, the the assistant coach with the with the whispers was the person that we picked and we were recording at the time the coach rank podcast we went one to 30 we were recording 30 as he got fired by the milwaukee bucks
0: yeah and you know it's not to say that he can't be a good assistant although it seems <laughs> like sure the report the reports of him mentioning Entering Lonzo Ball consisted of one phone call uh, when it was dug into a, a little bit more, but certainly Kid played somewhat similarly to Lonzo. Maybe he it can help him. And obviously, health is huge and who they get in free agency. I mean, I think Vogel is an uninspiring hire, but I don't think he's like a terrible coach. I mean, he did have some foibles in that series that they lost in 2016 against Toronto, uh, where uh, after which uh, he ended up getting fired. But, you, you know, and, and we'll see what kind of a relationship he. and lebron has i mean lebron presumably has some respect for him with the playoff battles uh, against the pacers but this is really about well hey you're going to impose your lead assistant and you're going to impose a three-year contract that expires when lebron's does this is uh, about the best coach that you can get in vogel Hey, his not like his name was coming up for other openings, so he took it. Also interesting is Phil Jackson, still apparently a confidant of Genies. Of course, the Rambuses are as well, and that Vogel was very highly recommended by Phil Jackson. Uh, Ramona reported that. So Phil uh, didn't have the greatest executive tenure in New York, but he is uh, still influencing things from his executive grave, apparently. And that's not to me a great reason to hire a coach. The one reason I can think of that I've heard in all of this of like why that could explain this that's not just like a terrible indictment of the Lakers organization is that maybe Kyrie just didn't want to play for Ty Lue again and made that clear. And if they hope to lure Kyrie back to play with LeBron, that firing. Ty Lue wasn't the way to do that there certainly were reports that Kyrie's relationship with Lou was pretty rocky towards the end of, of that 2017 run so by, by the way uh, yeah. how
1: crazy will Boston go if Kyrie leaves and goes to the Lakers
0: yeah I mean there's a lot of people who kind of don't want Kyrie back apparently in Boston but uh but if but going get to Kyrie the Lakers that Davis, would be that would be just yeah.
1: crushing and yeah. so one thing that I found interesting because we're we're recording after there's been some talk of, of with everything with Vogel because it happened after the last time we recorded I'm a little bit uncomfortable with how much the chatter has yada 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 over his years in Orlando and yes it is true that those were some misfit toys and a you know it was it would have been hard to get a lot out of that roster I think that's all fair and and the young guys weren't ready yet and the veterans weren't good enough I think they were significantly better coached this year under Steve Clifford than they were under Frank Vogel and uh, you know it's some, it, it, you don't want to give Clifford all the credit for Vooch having a career year Augustine having a big bounce back everything else but
0: yeah. John Isaac being John healthy. Isaac being
1: healthy but I mean when I watched the Magic the last couple of years, offensively in particular, they were just uninspiring. And remember, like, we talked about how—and Isaac, again, a huge factor in this—how it seemed like they had more defensive talent. They were they were 22nd and 20th in defense the two years Frank Fogle was there. And they had a, a fair youth movement this year as well. You know, they tried to play Mobamba for a little bit. That didn't work. He got hurt. That probably helped their defensive rating, incidentally. But that— the, yes i i I think vogel i understand his reputation as an x's and o's coach but that orlando job was not inspiring
0: no it wasn't and kp wrote a nice piece about how vogel's defenses succeeded funneling drivers into roy hibbert forcing a lot of mid-rangers in indiana and the lakers as of now don't project to have that type of a rim protector on the roster and i I think really the reason in addition to just the fact that phil jackson and kurt rambis like the guy is just that he he can kind of be an adult in the room. He's been a coach before. He's been to the conference finals. He at least isn't just, you know, he's not going to be a total disaster in theory, you know, the way someone who had never coached before might be. And in theory, he has enough gravitas that LeBron isn't going to completely ignore him due to his record in Indiana. But yeah, I mean, not a lot going for him. And certainly, I didn't think that Vogel was someone who should ha- have gotten a- another head coaching job. One other piece of news, which is actually actually Pretty exciting here. This is a quote from Adam Silver in New York at some kind of get together where he's hobnobbing with a bunch of big wigs and doing some sort of a QA. And the guy's like, Oh, these guys, you know, don't play 82 games anymore. And his response was, "The His quote is, If legitimate resting of players resulted in them being healthier in the playoffs, healthier longer, able to continue their career longer, I think we'd be in favor of it. The last issue, though, is that as a league, we may need to revisit number of games in the season because maybe in the modern nba we've had an 82 game season for roughly 50 years and maybe it's too many games on the players bodies first time we've heard that from the commissioner so perhaps there is a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel uh, on this um and kevin Artovitz you can find it on youtube did a really nice presentation at the sloan conference discussing this issue obviously there's been a lot of work on it and we have uh tried to add to that uh, in saying that the season should be shortened i wouldn't expect that it's going to be the type of thing where we get to the 58 games that, that i would like to see necessarily but even seven games off uh, the season i think it could really help improve the quality of the regular season um anything else to talk about before we go here
1: i do not know the order of their release but three teams got eliminated over the last few days and their off-season previews will be coming out at the athletic soon. So that'll be the rockets the sixers and the nuggets they're all ready so it's just about publication thanks again to the editors at the athletic for for going through those they're all they're all massive they're all like 17 1800 words and yeah i'll have more i'm I'm working on a piece about about trading partial guaranteed contracts because that's an interesting issue that's come up a couple of times and so you can look for that i'm guessing that'll come out on like wednesday
0: all right and you said it this is always a sad day in the nba season our last day with multiple games but uh it sure was worth it thanks for joining us and we'll be back we're gonna take tomorrow off because there are no games and we got a head start uh, on this week's episodes uh, on friday night so we'll be back on tuesday night getting some off-season previews and discuss game one of warriors blazers and the lottery and who the lottery oh i did forget one piece of news patrick patterson has opted in to his player option for 5.7 million dollars a deal he's signed in the summer of 2017 and yeah that's actually has been kind of a disappointing contract we actually thought that was a good one i'm kind of saddened that i i had to uh had to discuss it yeah in that When,
1: when it, whenever a whenever a deal is signed and it seems like it's way below value I, something we've learned with this is there's probably a reason sometimes it's off the court stuff that's overblown but sometimes it's an injury that that we just didn't know the full severity because teams don't share that it seems like that's what happened here
0: yeah you'll recall he had to have surgery before he ever played a game for the thunder all right we're done here we will catch you all tuesday night till then